As we continue, I'd invite you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, for our message this morning, Earthen Vessels. Near the end of 1997, Jose Gutierrez began his job as a garbage truck driver for the waste management system in Bogota, the capital of Colombia. And while working his nightly route on the west side of the city, he was struck by the potential of what he saw daily in the dump. And one day during his usual work, his curiosity had reached the end when he fished out a discarded copy of Tolstoy's novel, Anna Karenina. Over the next several years, he repeated the habit that started that day, slowly but surely amassing an impressive library that he made available to his modest neighborhood. With the help from his wife, Gutierrez decided to build in his home a community library, open and available to the children who were in need. And before long, to enter Gutierrez's house was to go through a labyrinth of thousands of books stacked one on top of the other through every room. Among them classics like Gone with the Wind, an English edition of The Little Prince, works from Spanish author Miguel de Cervantes, all rescued from the garbage. And 10 years later, from picking up that first copy of Tolstoy, he founded what became known as the foundation of words, the strength of words foundation, a free library used by families wanting their children to read more and be able to do homework. His house sat on top of a a meager hilltop in his humble neighborhood in Bogota. Not one thing about it looked special, but local kids would crowd in during open library hours. He became known in the neighborhood with a nickname, Lord of the Books. Since then, the Lord of the Books has rescued and distributed more than 50,000 books spanning subjects of science and literature, business, medicine. When he ran out of room, he began donating them, filling more than 450 libraries throughout his home country with books. How does an uneducated garbage collector who had been to nothing more than primary school become Lord of words because he discovered the treasure held in the trash. It's all because one man learned that sometimes treasure is contained in the oddest of places, that something of great worth could be found in what the world would gladly toss aside. Now this is something like the argument that Paul is making in 2 Corinthians 4, a a theme that will be repeated throughout later chapters in the book, that God has chosen to put treasure in earthen vessels, clay pots, jars made of mud. So he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. See, this metaphor packed with meaning can serve us well today. I'm not sure what led Paul to choose this particular household object with which to compare himself, 
but I can tell you why. You see, the letters to the Corinthians tell us over and over again all about the problems that they were having. This was a a necessary defense of his ministry for this young church. On more than one occasion, we get a, a glimpse of the problems in Corinth. It was a place chocked full of flashy and pretentious arguments about which leader was best. You read it in 1 Corinthians, no doubt, that one follows Paul, another says, I follow Paul, uh, Apollos, another says, I follow Cephas. Paul says, I've heard from Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you. And in that competition for followers, some were likely saying, how can this Paul speak of such a power so unimpressively? It's a conversation every preacher hopes doesn't go on in the halls after worship. How can one whose life is so marked with dishonor bring a message of salvation? Where is the glory in the the strange amount of hardship and suffering this apostle seems to endure if the power he speaks of is true? Where's the evidence in his life? Paul said this much in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10, for some say among you, his letters are weighty and forceful, but in person, He is unimpressive, and his speaking amounts to nothing. See, they are, in Corinth, asking, essentially, how can such a wonderful treasure be properly displayed in such a lowly clay pot? The problem is, they've confused the container for the contents. It'd be nice to say that this only happened in Corinth where they quarreled over which leader was best. But you know as well as I do that pulpits all around this country will be filled with people who were chosen because a congregation somewhere chose a container instead of the contents. That we are drawn to flashy objects that tell us what we want to hear, what our itching ears would like to know. And we miss the treasure that God longs to put inside. And rather than defend his appearance or his speech or his struggles, Paul defends the power of God at work in him. In fact, Paul's arguing that it is this frailty that they point out, that very weakness that he has, that he is able to better convey the true comfort and the great glory of the gospel of Jesus. He is living proof that it's only by the extraordinary power of what has happened at the empty tomb and now burst forth from his ministry that this could be possible. And rather than discredit him, Paul says, this points to the very power of the gospel, that God would choose to put treasure in clay pots. Now what treasure You may be asking this morning, is it exactly that Paul envisions to be in his earthen vessel? What is it that God has put inside of him? This is what he pointed to in just verses before this one in 2 Corinthians 4, 5. He said, we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, is the one who shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And that, it seems, is the treasure Paul believes is placed inside of his earthen vessel, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God seen in the face 
of Jesus Christ. See, Paul knew that he was a man with limits, but that the one inside of him was a limitless God. He knew that he was covered in weakness, but that the infinite God has no weaknesses. And Paul is saying that you need to hear today that what's good about you is not actually you. What's good about you is what's inside of you. It's what God has taken his most valuable possession and placed it inside of us. And he gives them that first warning that they ought not to confuse the container for the contents. And Oliver Franks was one of the most distinguished and respected men in all of Great Britain when he was made ambassador to the United States in 1948. Being ambassador between London and Washington, he was in constant communication between the president on one side of the Atlantic and the prime minister on the other. On the brink of the Cold War, you can imagine the messages he had to convey, the communication taking place was not only essential, but top secret. It said that Oliver Franks would normally use the diplomatic bag that went back and forth by plane, by air, across the Atlantic every day. It was the bag intended to convey secret messages from one government to the other. Telephones couldn't be trusted. They're too easily bugged. But for the most top secret content and the occasions when something was desperately urgent, it said that he wouldn't trust it to a bag that everybody knew was really important. Why would you put the most secret message in a giant bag that said, top secret. So he would put it in an ordinary envelope and send it through the regular mail. And some of us need to hear this morning that God uses ordinary mail for an extraordinary message. Others need to be reminded that God isn't looking for your greatness to make his known. That the qualification for his greatness being known in you is your weakness put on display. The Corinthians were distracted. They were looking for a better envelope, a more convincing package for what Paul had to offer. And Paul says you shouldn't mistake this container for the contents, for the treasure that God is giving you now. Friends, we have this treasure in jars of mud. A few years ago, several college roommates at a state university in New York needed a new sofa for their apartment. It's a situation all of us can relate to. They needed nice quality furniture, preferably something that when you slapped a cushion, a puff of dust came out, a plaid that was probably 10, maybe 20 years old. So they went to the local Salvation Army to get their college roommate couch. They couldn't afford an expensive sofa, so they were happy to find one that cost them just $20. It was perfect, even if it was just a bit worn out. And they were watching a movie together one night when one of the roommates felt a, a strange lump on the armrest, decided to investigate. It's a brave move on an old couch. 
And what they found there left the three of them in shock. Inside the armrest was an envelope containing $700. Now one of them probably opened that envelope and thought, what a treasure we have found. The other one went and got some scissors. After a feverish search, the three friends found several more envelopes in all. Before the night was over, they had found $41,000 tucked away in that $20 couch. Now, they knew that money belonged to one person in particular. There were bank statements and envelopes with names on it in this couch after all. And coming to a decision as a group, they actually sought out the woman whose name was on one of the envelopes and were soon knocking on her door. It turned out the woman and her husband had saved up the money over the course of 30 years and hidden it inside the couch. Now the woman's husband had passed away. In fact, she slept on that couch as her bed. Years passed and the woman completely forgot about the money hidden in the sofa. So they donated the couch to the Salvation Army when her daughter came and decided to buy her a new bed. And what they found out was that their mother and their deceased father had been keeping treasure in what they thought was trash. Now, why would God choose to put the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the light of God shining from Christ in earthen vessels, in clay pots? He doesn't have in mind some beautiful work of mosaic art or colorful decor. You might try to dress up a pot. Maybe that's what you use them for at your house, for decoration. That you might buy a nice large clay pot and put some beautiful plants in it to dress up an outdoor space. Maybe you even pick the ones that have a a beautiful glaze on the outside of one color or another so they can improve the situation. But Paul doesn't have in mind decorations. He doesn't have in mind the image of Solomon's gold drinking glasses or a timeless bronze urn or exquisite inlaid pottery they knew in ancient Greece. You see, in the ancient world, all kinds of things were kept in these earthenware vessels. It was pottery that could hold everything from household utensils to rugs to documents. Their only significance was in what it was that they contained. Now, I wish I could convey this for you, how average an earthenware vessel was for the first century world. It might be better to translate it into modern terms. That Paul says, we have this treasure in Tupperware. No, no, maybe that has too much value in your house. It's more like the Tupperware that you made out of plastic tubs you saved from other food. Paul says, We have this treasure in the formerly known as Cool Whip container that grandma keeps in her fridge. We have this treasure in Ziploc bags that you rinsed out and reused. We have this treasure in Tupperware that you made out of the turkey lunch meat box. You see, clay pots are disposable. They're so common in households that if broken, they're tossed aside and not fixed. They're fragile, expendable. Paul could have used all kinds of materials. Wood would have been more secure. Metal would have been more durable. Gold would have been more valuable. Even glass, if they had broken it, could be melted down and and made into something new. 
You see, you've heard of the Iron Age and the Bronze Age and the Stone Age. There's a reason no one's labeled part of history the Pottery Age, because we're not digging it up. It has returned to the dust from which it came. And no one in the Olympics will vie to stand on the podium and be adorned with the clay metal. It was basically worthless, unattractive, and common. And Paul knows that the vessels into which God has chosen to put his treasure are made from the dust of the earth. Some men boast of their strength, their stamina, some of their their resilience or strength. And Paul makes it abundantly clear that he can take no credit for what God is doing in him. The gospel doesn't depend on human strength. In fact, Paul's weakness is the precondition for divine power. His frailty serves as the grounds for Christ's power. It's when he's least reliant on his own resources that by Christ's strength, he is the most powerful. And friends, this is the opposite of what our world teaches us we ought to be. It's the story of man from the very beginning. That God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. And God in his infinite wisdom took that first man and he he names him Adam. Literally meaning in Hebrew, red. Deriving from the, the same word Adama, meaning earth or ground. It was from that red dirt that God formed the first man. And from this clay, God had spoken forth, let us make man in our image. Paul knew that only a jug of mud could properly display the image of God. He knows also what that jar of clay was created to contain. Not only is he frail and weak and feeble, but he was created to contain a great and abounding treasure so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. You see, the biblical text is abounding with men and women who discovered this truth, that God puts treasure in clay pots, that his strength is made known in weakness. It happens all the way from the beginning with Abraham and Sarah, who in their ages of 90 and 99 cannot possibly perceive that God could give them a child. And so they laughed when Isaac was born. And no one went around saying, wow, Abraham and Sarah must have really worked things out in their marriage. They said, wow, behold the greatness of God. And when Moses, equipped with nothing but a stammering tongue and a stick, threw it down before Pharaoh and watched the power of God in display, held it up and led his people across an entire sea, no one said, Moses seems to have been trained well and resourced for this journey. They said, wow, behold the power of God. When Joshua is marching around with a a misfit band of slaves blowing trumpets at the walls of Canaanite cities, no one is saying, man, they've got good musical training. Everyone stayed on beat. No, as the walls fell down, they could say nothing about trumpets blowing at walls except, wow, behold the power of the God of Israel. And when Gideon takes 300 men equipped with torches and trumpets and holding what? if not clay pots, 
up against the Midianites only to defeat them. No one said, boy, we ought to use pots in our next war. They said, behold, the power of our God. And each of these in their own right made excuses. Abraham didn't see himself fit. Moses didn't think he had the talent. Gideon says, are you sure God? You see, they all realized they were jars of mud, but some of them had forgotten the power at work within them. And it's precisely when our resources are insufficient and our might incapable of doing anything that God can make known his all-sufficient, almighty power. If you believe today that you are ill-equipped or incapable for what God has next, you're not underestimating yourself. You're underestimating the treasure inside of you. You have not forgotten what you are. You have forgotten who God is today and the gift he holds out to all who would believe. What a joy to know that all I need to display the sufficiency of Christ to others is the humility to acknowledge how insufficient I am for the task. We are afflicted, Paul says, in every way, but not crushed. And though we're perplexed, we're not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. God is saying we are merely clay pots. And if we will say to God personally and as a people, God, we are merely clay pots, he will say, I'll fill you with my treasure. But friends, if you are stuck letting God know what a treasure you are, you will amount to nothing more than clay pots. To those who hear the call of God this morning and find it too tall a task or too great a burden, Paul says, you have not fully understood what is contained inside of you. Around the same time that Oliver Franks began sifting top secret messages through ordinary mail, a couple of Bedouin teenagers were tending their goats and sheep near the ancient settlement of Qumran, located just beside the Dead Sea in what is now known as the, the West Bank of Israel. Some of the most dramatic biblical scenes are set there in the Judean desert, secrets buried for hundreds of years until one day they were revealed by a young boy in 19. 47. As the, the story goes, a shepherd left his flock of sheep and goats to, to search for a stray. And amid the crumbling limestone cliffs that marked the landscape and the northwestern rim of the Dead Sea, he found a cave, a, a crevice of a steep, rocky hillside. Now, intrigued by what was down there and wondering perhaps if his, his sheep had found its way there, he, he tossed a, a stone into the dark depths. Some versions of the story even say that one of the shepherds with him fell into the hole. But they were startled as the rock they threw in returned with the sound of crashing pottery, clay pots breaking. He had stumbled on the greatest find of the century. What he had broken down in that deep cave became known as the Dead Sea Scrolls, some of the most oldest and amazing manuscripts we have of Hebrew texts, totally transforming modern day scholarship, our understanding of history and religion. 
Now, if you've never known what it is to let the word of God be held in your meager container, it's announced today from the lips of Paul and from the powerful movement of God that bursts forth from the empty tomb, you were created to be filled with a treasure, the light of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And to every one of you who hold this word of God in your clay pot, come out from whatever cave you've been stuck in. Leave behind the trap that says, your life is about the vessel. Let go of the lie that your pot must be polished or preserved. The one who made you use the dust of the earth for a reason. He knows that you are an earthen vessel. He knows that you are a cracked container. He knows that we are jars of clay. He knows that you are a jug of mud. But he fills us up so that we, we live our lives in this world, the glory of the light of God, showing in the face of Jesus Christ, bursts out of every part of you that's willing to be broken. And those who would never have known the truth about God will see him because God put a treasure inside of us. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, humble clay pots, asking to be filled. We come today as people who avoid brokenness, who run from weakness, but we're reminded today that it's there that we will know and display your strength. Father, let us be people who invite the power of God to shine forth from every crack in these feeble containers, that all the world would know the glory and the love of Jesus Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.